Welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Talk Surgery podcast for the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. I am your host, Gregory Carter, colorectal surgery registrar from uh, north of border in Scotland. And with me, always good friend, Ceci, how are you? I'm fine, Greg. How's you? Uh, fine, thanks. Today is a continuation of our Global Surgery series, so series two, episode four of Global Surgery. And I am delighted with our guest today. Not very often you get to interview the global citizen of the year for Scotland, <laughs> who also happens to be my boss, so this will be slightly different. With us today is Miss Farry Colley, consultant colorectal surgeon from Edinburgh. Miss Colley, how are you? I'm very well, thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. Very excited. You may have listened to our podcast before. What we try to do is get to know the individual behind the message. So a very simple, open question. Who is Barry Colley? Well, what am I? I suppose I'm a Scottish female surgeon, married, I'm a mum, two kids and a dog, and I've been travelling abroad initially just for fun and I guess now more to, to work in since I was a medical student. So it's, it's definitely a passion. It's not my only passion. I've got lots of other things that I like doing. <laughs> but it's been an amazing part of my life and I'm actually I feel very grateful to medicine as a career and to surgery in particular that I've been able to travel with it and work a bit and meet people and have some quite incredible experiences that have been I would say quite definitive for me as a person. And we'll get to explore some of that as we go through the rest of the podcast particularly the the meat of the podcast as Ceci likes to say. The next thing we do is, is some open sort of quick fire questions because you're my boss. I can't make it too uncomfortable. So I'm going to keep it fairly light. <laughs> I'm sure you can, Greg. <laughs> so the first thing is colorectal surgery, the finest specialty in, in all of surgery. Why colorectal for you? So I, it had to be something general for me because I, I like the a, a bit of drama, but not too much drama, if you know what I mean. So I steer yep. away from cardiothoracics. <laughs> but I do want a, a, a bit of excitement. And in terms of colorectal I think it's they're good meaty operations you know you feel that you've worked quite hard and you've got a, a mixture of all sorts of different operations and you've got uh, men and women and different ages so I think it's a real it's a real general it feels very general and then I guess the other thing is that when I was training I got interested in fistula surgery so that was a, a bit of a factor of me deciding to do colorectal because I thought it would be pertinent to my work in the UK. That so there was okay. a little bit of of sway from that as well. I see. And a link to that then, if colorectal was not an option for you, they, you know, back in the day, you decided not for me. What else would you have considered doing with yourself, if not medicine, or certainly not colorectal? Oh, if I hadn't done not medicine at all, I yeah. don't know. I think I would have liked to have been a, a fantastically successful novelist, but I, oh. I think unfortunately I lack the skills for that. <laughs> but I, I do, I love reading. I would modest. love to be able to write a book. That okay. would be great. Uh, maybe I would teach. I guess I would probably teach if I couldn't do anything in medicine. Okay. What is your current favorite novel? Oh, 
That's tricky. I've got quite a few. Um, right, I'll let you have two. Can I have two? I would say one is not a novel. Is that allowed? It's it's a brilliant book called Arctic Dreams by Barry Lopez, which is right. sort of um, it's one of those books that's about everything, about nature and the Arctic and life and history and geology and humanity. And it's just utterly fascinating as well as very beautiful and lyrical. <laughs> so I think that is probably one of my top books at the moment. Novels, I can't choose. I don't know. I'm having a Dickens phase, but <laughs> I couldn't really choose one probably. Jesse's very excited by that answer. <laughs> we have this concept of Noah's Ark on this podcast. Now, you know, the end of the world is come. Noah's Ark is here to save us all. You have how many consultant colleagues of yours? At the uh, Western General in Edinburgh? 12 of us, yeah. 12 of you. So if you had <laughs> to save one of them to come oh. onto the <laughs> Noah's Ark with you, which one would it be? Black. I couldn't possibly... Um, you couldn't let all 11 of them. I couldn't let them all go, could I? I mean, I'm not sure. Would I save myself? I, I think I might have You're already to. on. You're on. Oh, I'm already on. All right. And uh, I don't want to get this the, to, to lower the tone, <laughs> but is the future of humanity dependent on us producing uh, airs? <laughs> I, I didn't think about it that far, actually. So let's say no. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well... Let me see. I'd have to find somebody that was uh, young and fit and and able. And and if we don't have to produce heirs, I think I'd always have to have another girl because, um, you know, girl power. <laughs> I don't think I can narrow it down any further than that. Risking an injury. <laughs> I, know, I didn't think you'd actually go that far. So that's that's good. Uh, final question then. You are now on a desert island. Noah's Ark has dropped you off on a desert island. What one instrument, a surgical instrument, would you take with you? The scissors. One? Why? There's not that nothing can approach scissors. I mean, you could probably make a set of forceps from uh, and a knife from stones and rocks and things like that. But a really good pair of scissors. Now you'd have to have them. No, I, I knew you were going to be good at that. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, that's that's quite interesting. But it also uh, speaks to the person that you are rather resourceful. <laughs> It's so nice to have another amazing lady on the podcast. Um, I, I think just thinking back over our last few episodes, it's kind of been a boys show. So I'm very pleased. Girl power all the way. <laughs> and um, also nice to have another reader. Um, Dickens is a favorite of mine. And I remember the first one I ever read was Great Expectations, which mm -hmm. I'm, I've recently revisited. So yay, I'm very, very pleased. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, just um, delving a bit further into your career journey, if that's okay, do you mind just taking us on a walk through your journey from medical school to where you are currently and, you know, just key aspects and moments in your career journey that led you to be you know, on this podcast talking to us after receiving huh. such a prestigious award? Well, I, I was at Edinburgh University, mm -hmm. and which was great. And then I moved south, gradually more and more south. So I went to Birmingham, first of all, for SHO jobs, and then to London for research at the Royal Free, and then a bit more London, south, south east London, and down to Brighton for Registrar. That was a pretty good impression, actually. Right. And then I um, 
probably had a fairly formative time. Or I took a year out. We had in those days, you, the year four in the reg training was supposed to be research, but I'd already done it. Okay. So I managed to persuade the deanery to let me go away with Medicines on Frontier for a year. Amazing. And that was just incredible. I had such uh, an amazing time. And yeah, I think you had to learn how to be a bit resourceful surgically, personally, lots of different ways. And um, it was quite an amazing set of experiences in, in all those ways, medically, surgically, all these things. Um, I was mostly most of the time in Sri Lanka during they were still at war in that time in the northern area. And then I had a couple of months in Ethiopia mm-hmm. and with MSF. But I was also able to visit the Hamlin Fistula Hospital in, in Addis Ababa. OK. And that's what probably got me addicted to fistula surgery and then managed to, to meet Brian Hancock, who's just an amazing colorectal surgeon who was affiliated to the hospital in Ethiopia and who took me with him to Uganda and basically taught me fistula surgery and that relationship continues he doesn't so much teach me on one-to-one anymore but he's still on hand for chats (laughs) then I came to Edinburgh for an I think they call an UPI program experience so it was an excellent UPI and I met Bill my husband and moved in and haven't left (laughs) well there you go so there we go. <laughs> oh, absolutely fantastic. And um, we'll delve a little bit more into your humanitarian journey um, later on in preparing for this podcast. I was absolutely floored by the amount of work that you are doing and you have done in the past. Um, I, I personally don't know with being a consultant, colorectal surgeon, a wife, a mum. She used to be the clinical director as well. Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know how you find how many hours, the hours in the day. Um, so you talked a little bit about fistula surgery, which I know is a passion of yours. Are there any other special interests you have within colorectal? Um, yeah, so I uh, I think we all do cancer. So I like to do my share of uh, cancer work. And here in the in the UK, I, I do have a practice in um, prolapse and incontinence, which is and a bit and also gynae oncology, uh, mm-hmm. part of the team that does the, the complex resections. I think, um, I mean, it's all quite uh, women orientated, but I, I, I still treat a lot of men with the cancer work and general work, which is nice. So, But I, I, I do think it's, there are particular problems for women and the more experience you have of all the different aspects of pathology in, in women, then I think you, you, bring, you bring all that to the table, if you like. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, some of our viewers may remember, um, I'm Nigerian origin. And when I was in medical school in Newcastle, I used to travel back every summer to work in rural hospitals. And there are a lot of females Mm. who have birth trauma and a lot of females with pelvic issues that go unrecognized, especially in the north of Nigeria, where I worked, where um, there were lots of really young mums. And it's just fantastic to have um, someone like yourself who's been a real advocate for female issues. So I thank you for that. I really do. I agree. Um, I agree. And, you know, obviously I've had the pleasure to work closely with Avarikoli and and see some of the work she's done. I've not had an opportunity to travel with her when when COVID has has finally settled down. I was about to say, are you inviting yourself, Greg? (laughs) I already already have. Uh, She knows that. A couple of things. We're just going to talk about you know the journey through in more detail how you got involved with the Uganda projects and exactly what you do but uh, a couple of things I wanted to share with you and I was going to do this at work but I thought I'll keep it for the podcast so recognizing your interest in prolapse pelvic floor 
you know I'm doing my first CS exam uh, soon, and I was revising for that recently. And I found this quote that I thought you'd enjoy. It's from Emile Gautier in 1909, and it says, Freedom of the bowels is the most precious, perhaps even the most essential of all freedoms, one without which little can be accomplished. <laughs> that's very true. I think that's very true. Yeah. I know, absolutely, and, and that's very apt. Uh, so that's, I love that's that. It's <laughs> brilliant. That, that is my constipation revision done. Other two <laughs> questions I had for you, actually. What is your one favorite operation? Oh, God, that's such a good question. I've never even thought of that. I would have to choose either, you know, the the. I think colorectally, everybody likes to do uh, quite a tough, low anterior resection, don't you? You feel like you've kind of earned your earned your bread that right. day. Yeah, but I do love to do. I would maybe put that joint with a, a, a difficult fistula, um, a, a vesico, probably a vesico-vaginal fistula, which has been controversial now because most of the fistulas are vesico-vaginal rather than rectovaginal. And um, there's that that's so satisfying as well, just to be able to repair that. Um, especially as you said, Sissy, some of these girls are so young and so utterly debilitated um, that, yeah, there's something very, very satisfying if, it, if you can do a successful repair. Yeah. I, I said two more questions, but I, I have another two. <laughs> what is your single biggest inspiration? Hmm. Do you mean as a parent, like a person? As a person, as a surgeon, as a mother, as a wife, as a human. Oh. Well, I guess I don't. I think you can't. There's so many amazing people I've met work-wise that you that all of whom they contribute to the kind of collage that you make of of inspiration from from many yeah. different people. One surgical person that I've always been in great awe of is actually Paul McMaster who I've never actually operated with, but I heard him speak about, he basically retired from a, being a liver transplant surgeon, spent 20 years working for MSF. Gosh, he just worked so hard and did so much. So I guess from the MSF perspective, he, he, I was um, just blown away by, by that. But I guess personally, I'd, you know, my, all my family, but perhaps particularly my dad was, was a great, a person who loved life and who was interested in people and who just made the world a bit better, you know, in his in his attitude. And I guess I'd like to be like that. Touche, touche. And and a final quick fire question. I think I've asked you eight now instead of the usual <laughs> five. What do you do to relax apart from sort of reading? What else do you do to? Yeah, relax? so I've got a dog, and I'm a bit like the dog. I have to be walked. So, <laughs> so uh, definitely I like to go up the hills anytime I can and walk a bit and nowadays doing a bit of swimming in the sea and I like paddle boarding, canoeing, cycling, skiing. I like, you know, I need to, I need to be exercised. The outdoors. Definitely. Outdoors, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so, so back to the, the reason why we've got you on the podcast. I think sure. you, you've done a lot of good work out there and, you know, I am... <laughs> I'm pleased that that's finally been recognized and, you know, Cecil will cover the the award uh, later on. But just to talk through, and you, you touched on a little bit as to how you got involved with the work in Uganda, but if you can just talk us through 
the inception of the charity, what the charity seeks to do, a little bit about the work and, and some of the team that you have the pleasure of working with. Yeah. So when I started going to Uganda with Brian, who is, of course, um, very inspiring as well, um, he... I think he'd always, all his life, he'd been going to Uganda because when he was a junior doctor, you could go and do your house jobs there, um, which he had done. And then he'd gone back for a few years to a small rural hospital and then he just kept visiting. And so he would be going regularly to see his friends, if you like, back in the hospital and running these camps for fistula, particularly for fistula, although he was always happy to do other things, but it was really for fistula because there was no... There was nobody doing it. So it was really a provision of service, if you like, but in a place that he knew. And so I would tag along with him. But it was all a bit disorganized. We couldn't really fundraise. We were sort of have a sort of pockets full of cash to try and pay the expenses of the patients. And so I decided to try and make it a bit more organized so that we could fundraise, get gifted, etc. And roped in a friend from MSF, uh, Anne, who helped me set up, set up uh, Uganda Childbirth Injury Fund. And that made us a little bit more accountable and we had to have a mission, which was to provide or assist in treating women afflicted by childbirth injuries in Uganda. And I think the we have a, we tried to make it a little bit open-ended so that we could evolve. And we certainly have evolved in that when we were first going, there were very few um, Ugandan surgeons around uh, able to well, free, uh, available to, to learn or to do fistula surgery. And, and that has changed over the years. There are more surgeons around. And there, sometimes we provide a, a bit of a teaching role, but quite often we're collaborating now with some of the surgeons who we've worked with over the years. And together we're training the, you know, junior, more junior surgeons. So it has evolved that way. Unfortunately, there's still there still aren't enough surgeons, particularly in the rural areas, and it's still not the most popular of uh, fields in surgery because it's not lucrative and it's quite difficult. It takes quite a long time to learn it. And it's very obvious, just like within colorectal, if some if you have a leak, everybody knows <laughs> you can't hide it. And fistula uh, surgeries like that, you know, even in the best hands, probably 15 to 20% will fail first off. And that's, and that's very obvious because the patient is wet and upset. And so it's actually, you know, you have to be able to take that, you know, before, before you embark on it. So I think it's, a, it's quite a difficult uh, thing to take on for Indigenous surgeons to do that all the time. And as I said, there's there's no money in it. There's no private work. And a lot of people are supporting large extended families and they do need to earn money. So our charity has evolved to work with the people that are doing it. But we still are aware if we don't if we can't go, then fewer cases get done because there aren't there isn't somebody to step into our shoes. But we do now have a, a lovely and more extended team of there's three surgeon well four surgeons three and a half really <laughs> from UK Norway and America we uh, work with and obviously Ugandan surgeons and then we've got a very important team of nurses now and nursing has become a big focus and my colleague Ishval Campbell who's um, a nurse practitioner 
in uh, West Lothian has written an excellent manual which has been taken up by FIGO for the nurses because nursing care is kind of crucial for this. Um, so that's been quite a big focus for our charity as well to foster um, good patient care. I mean, just listening to you, you can sort of you can hear the passion with which you speak about the mm -hmm. subject and also the, the charity. And it's a it's a credit to you and the team to recognize, you know, the, the problems, try to contribute, but also make sure that it's sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and one of one of the other concepts that we, you know, I hadn't thought about, but we had a guest on who was talking about, you know, being from the UK, going across to Africa as well and having that sense of not wanting to have that white savior mentality yeah. coming across <clears> and <throat> listening to the work you've done with some of the local surgeons and you talked about collaborating with them as opposed to just coming in and doing the work and I think that is something that should be commended it's uplifting listening to what you talk about that was really oh, thank you Greg yeah, it really is. And as I say, it's just something about this conversation just makes me feel so much because I think a lot of female issues often get neglected, especially in rural sub-Saharan Africa. And as you say, just that whole difficulty of a young mother being constantly wet and you guys coming in to do something about it, that must be incredibly empowering. And on that note, are there any are you able to tell us about one case that's really struck you in the course of your sort of career in humanitarian <laughs> surgery? Just if you can pick one of the many. I think one of the things that I should have said that the team bring, and particularly this is the nurses, because we are, the surgeons were usually closeted up in theatre and the nurses spend a lot more time with the patients. And one of the things they've really been able to do is to, it's to just encourage a, a very caring kind of atmosphere, which, which isn't always what you find in, in the UK either, I would say, but all, not everybody has that kind of um, talent. And I remember an example of that is, I remember the going off to the ward once and finding the nurses running a nail bar. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they had set up all this nail polish and they were painting the patient's nails. <laughs> And I was like, okay, that's great. You look beautiful. Why are we doing this? And the, my friend Ishbel was saying, well, you know, these girls have not been touched. Nobody wants to touch them yeah. for years because they're smelly and wet and are seen to be dirty and are ostracized. Mm -hmm. And it means a lot for them to come and sit here and we're holding their hands and painting their nails and they feel it. And it's, it's little things like that that, you know, make you very moved. I, I, I mean, I'm just always in awe of them for, for these things that they do. So anyway, I've, I've gone off on a tangent, sorry. But in terms of the cases, you know, one of the cases I, I always remember is a, is a lady who was about um, probably 60s. She didn't really know how old she was, but she basically had a tiny little fistula, just a, an easy one, if you like. There's a, there's a sort of spectrum of horrible ones and not so bad ones. And this was yeah. an easy one. I, we probably fixed it in an hour. Okay. And um, she, I remember talking to her afterwards and she basically said that she'd spent her whole life alone, 40 years alone with no, you know, just tilling a little bit of land beside uh, her uh, cottage uh, or hut and um, nobody coming nearer because of the smell and not able to go in public transport and just ashamed you, you almost wanted it to have been worse 
you know, the surgery, because it seemed as if it was such a small thing, and yet it had, you know, wasted her her life. And um, so sometimes we look for the dramatic operations, you know, but sometimes it's this is quite a small thing that you can do for somebody that, you know, can have just a massive impact. I've never forgotten her. That's amazing. And like, as you say, sometimes it's not the huge life-saving surgery that really makes a difference in our patients' lives. It can be the little things, just like you said, with the Mm. nail bar, that must be such a big thing for them to be touched and nurtured in that way. And as you say, with that woman, sometimes (laughs) you're just like, why is your problem not bigger? And they're so, yeah. they're so grateful. Mm. You get the other side of the coin, unfortunately, um, in the NHS and otherwise, where people with huge problems and you, you work really hard and somehow the impact is not as, as great. But I think the important thing, as we usually say at the end of the podcast, is not only being kind to ourselves, but to each other, because the little kindnesses I think people remember. Um, so j- just last little question for me, this all this traveling and all this surgery if we just look at it in black and white it must cost money how do you manage to fundraise and keep motivated yeah so um i think um, i've been very lucky in that lots of people friends and uh, other mums at school and the, the rest of the team are you know they have a have a passion for it and what we've done various fundraising events and you know told some patient stories and shown some photos and people are people are are very generous and and uh, help and I think um it's quite one of the reasons I say other mothers is that there's very few of my friends who've not had who've had children who've not had some sort of help whether it's uh you know the full works emergency cesarean blah de, blah or whether it's just a, you know something less but a midwife and and we're all pretty aware of that horrible feeling of being totally out of control and needing somebody to help and I think um, people really empathize with the thought of girls going through a childbirth without help and running into bother so it's actually been quite easy to fundraise and then in terms of in the last few years, because our practice has grown a bit and we've been trying to facilitate our Ugandan colleagues in running their own camps and fund them. So that's more, more money um, and to pay them because it's all very well for us to go off and do it for free. But, the, you know, we're, we're paid a good salary here at home. We can afford it a week or two away without pay, whereas they can't. So we've been able to apply for grants and we've been um, quite fortunate to have had some grants in the last few years, which is keeping us going. Bessie and I are sort of reflecting on, you know, what we've heard thus far and, and how inspiring it is. And I, I hope that everybody else listening to this podcast feels the same. <laughs> I know that there's been a huge positive response to the award that you received back in December, I think, mm. the the global citizen of the year I mean that is (laughs) that is a massive and I I hope that that sets the tone for others to for the raising of awareness and others to to contribute to your cause so before we talk about the award itself is there a way that if there is anybody listening to this who is inspired and touched and wants to help uh, your charity how can they do that oh thank you they yeah we've got a website um this is um uh, ucif.co.uk 
um, which stands for Uganda Childbirth Injury Fund. So ucif.co.uk. And there's more information on it. And uh, if anybody is kind enough to donate, there's a way of doing that there as well. Always very grateful for any support. (laughs) <laughs> and for our part we'll we'll do what we can as a podcast and, and through the college to continue to raise the awareness uh, be that through our twitter feed through the college websites uh, or through the app and we'll certainly lend our support much appreciated thank you congratulations again on, on being the global <laughs> citizen of scotland uh, 2020 2021 just talk to us about how you found out about the award how that came about what it was like chatting to I think it was Fred McCauley was it yeah it <laughs> was hosting the awards yeah I had a run-in with him not a run-in but you know I, I met him at the NHS awards a couple of years ago yeah. uh, during my year out he's quite a character yeah I, I did enjoy that anyway how did how, how did that feel for you how, how did you come about that award uh well um, I think back? him I felt very uh, really grateful and um honored um to be part of the the many people there were quite a number of people nominated and you know all the stories you feel quite humbled about and uh, as ever never feel that you necessarily are the most deserving um, when you hear about other people they're doing and I, I certainly also feel grateful on behalf of the team because it's not just me I can't do it on my own and uh, there's some amazing people who've um, been coming out with me over the years uh, and amazing people who set it all who started fistula surgery in way back way back so I I, I feel really honored to be recognized as a fistula surgeon almost that's the the honor <laughs> and yeah it, it's been really lovely and I think it I've, I've I've loved the fact that lots of people have heard of it and then want to know more about these problems for women and and also I think I think sometimes it can feel a bit as if it's sort of somehow very mysterious and adventuresome to go off to Africa and uh, work in a rural hospital. And it's nice to normalise that a little bit and to make it clear that there are plenty of people out there doing what we do, maybe with different uh, resource level, but they have the same passions and the same uh, drive to help people. And yeah, just to sort of, make 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 the the whole global community seem a little bit more ordinary and <laughs> not yeah. not not so strange oh you're ever modest you know yes there there is a team around you but you know you clearly lead that team and and you continue to motivate them and, and everybody else around you uh, to do what you do so i think you know credit to you and well deserving of the award thank you very in terms of what's what's next for you, I know you've not been able to go during the pandemic. But what's next? How often do you go? How often are you looking to go once uh, for well, international travel is allowed again? Yeah, so we were. I was going two or three times a year, and I would like to go back to that. I'm I'm hoping to go in October, but and we're just trying to take enough uh, leave that we can quarantine. So that if we're having to do that all the time, it might restrict the number of times we can go. I've got a very a good friend who's a fistula surgeon in Madagascar, and I've been wanting to go and visit him in his hospital. <laughs> so that's a bit of an ambition over the next, maybe I should say over the next five years, I don't know, that I could go and work with him a bit um, there. And 
yeah, I'd like to just keep going. I sort of had thought that we would be withdrawing a bit from with Uganda, but it is proving very difficult to find people who have the availability, really, uh, to to keep the work going in some of the places that we go to. So I think that there's still a reason for us to go. And um, obviously that's really nice because we've got our friends there now and we know the place. So I'll, I'll hopefully keep going there, but I would love to maybe go and visit Madagascar sometime <laughs> or other countries in Africa. If I can stay well and maybe I can have a post-retirement career like Vesa McMaster. <laughs> As Greg says, if there's anything that we can do to help to spread the word, publicity, and I guess even as surgeons, um, it'd be fascinating to travel with you. I'd absolutely love that. If you could use a paediatric surgeon, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I know this is so team colorectal at the moment. As long uh, as you can tie a knot, uh, you'll be useful to Miss Collie. <laughs> I, I, I can tie a knot. I can tie two knots even. I can do even better than that. Uh, are there any final thoughts that you have um, as we kind of bring this podcast to, to a close? Anything you want to say to our members, fellows, listeners, any, anyone? I think I would like to say something about, I know it's quite difficult to go abroad and to go and um, find a niche. And I know that it I, I sound as if I've got a, a nice little number all sewn up and I can go quite regularly. But it, it does take a bit of time to find that the, the right thing for you. I mean, obviously, MSF was great for me, but only at that phase in my life and not now. And I did some basic surgical skills courses that didn't really I wasn't the right person for that, really. It was a, a challenge to a lot of surgeons because I was female and young and maybe I'm old enough now that I'd be, <laughs> it wouldn't be seen so <laughs> socially difficult. So there, I, all I'm trying to say is there's lots of different ways of finding the right thing for you. And sometimes the right thing is actually just to come and watch a bit and maybe make some friends and ha have a communication and I, I think there's lots of different ways of doing that. And I think people should feel if they've got an interest, that there will be a way of, of, of doing it. And it might be that you have to, it takes a while to work it out and you have to fund yourself and you have to use your own time, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth uh, pursuing it. And the, the reward, the personal rewards are fantastic. You know, it's such a privilege to do medicine and surgery and to be able to, uh, immediately have working friendships with people in different countries through that is is incredible so I would encourage anybody who's interested to just you know keep worrying at it there'll be a, there'll be a way of doing it it seems that's a recurrent theme amongst a lot of the guests we've had who do um, global surgery in in that you should just mm. go out and do it and enjoy the world and collaborate and work with people mm. and meet people so Thank you very much for that. I'm sure um, I certainly feel very inspired and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would. And I don't know about you, Greg, you, you, you're nodding. You feel inspired <laughs> too, don't you? Well, I get I get to see it on a weekly basis. So yes, <laughs> Lucky it's, it's you. a recurring thing. But, but, but I also think in this scenario, in this forum, listening to the other stuff, the sort of outside of the Western General Hospital stuff that, that you do, it's, it's certainly... Yeah, very inspiring as well. The one thing I wanted to ask before I come to my final thoughts is, does the website also have an opportunity for other clinicians who want to get involved to get in touch with your group? Um, I think I think you can send us messages 
I think that it's got contacts on it. So um, I haven't particularly set that up that way, but I'd be very happy for anybody to be in touch with me at the Western or, or through the website. I think there's a contact us page. Or you can just Google the Global Citizen yeah. of the Year 2020 <laughs> for Scotland and you'll find her contact details yeah. there. Uh, listen, uh, you know, the, the one thing I wanted to say is that uh, having got to know you over time, the selflessness uh, comes out. And certainly when I saw in the headlines that you had won this award, uh, the first thing that came to my head was, you know, one, about time. Two, mm -hmm. I'm not surprised, knowing that you champion quality, diversity, but also fairness and making sure that the world is a better place for other people. And, and listening to what you said about, you know, your dad and how that inspired you, him making the world a better place, I can see that the apple hasn't fall too far from the tree because that's certainly what you try to do both on, on the day-to-day -day basis uh, at work but clearly also what you do in your global surgery efforts as well so congratulations on the awards congratulations on what you do you continue to inspire me and and, and many other uh, trainees that I get to work with we don't tell you that very often but you certainly well, do I'm, so you're gonna uh, make me cry soon thank you very much <laughs> but you know hats off to you congratulations and it was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better on the podcast but also sharing your story with the rest of the world um so i hope a lot of people are inspired and and get to go down this journey as well that that you've been on so thank you well thank you very much guys you're you're very very kind i really appreciate the the uh the time with you that's great and you know listeners out there if you've been inspired and you want to uh, get in touch with us you know the usual way to do it it's comms at <laughs> rcsed.ac.uk if you hear about this, go on the website, which is www.ucif.co.uk. Give her a shout, spread the word. And if you're that way inclined, feel free to donate because every little helps. <laughs> Listen, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Uh, we thank you for your time and everyone else out there. I hope this inspires you to be kind to yourself, but also to be kind to each other, which is our usual message to you. So thank you and take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you all.